Hi, you're listening to the EU China podcast powered by the EU China Hub, straight from Brussels, a show on which we interview important actors in the EU China relations and cover the top EU China news. Our mission is to help you to get a more nuanced picture of what is going on in the EU China relations. My name is Greg Stetz and I'm happy to have you with us. If you like our show, don't forget to subscribe and to tell your friends about us. Let's get started. Hi, here comes the EU China news brief for Monday, January 13, 2020. In today's news, we cover France, Germany, and China get on the phone over Iran crisis, EU's reaction to Taiwanese elections, new data on Chinese FDI to Europe. China takes first spot on the Commission's list of IP troublemakers. Huawei or the highway? Europe is setting up framework for its 5G. President Xi will host the next 17 plus 1 summit. Chinese academia gains its first foothold in Central and Eastern Europe. German car makers go big in China. Enjoy! France, Germany and China get on the phone over Iran crisis. Following the US airstrike which killed Iranian General Qasem Soleimani on the 3rd of January, the foreign ministers of France, Jean-Yves Le Drian, Germany, Heiko Maas and China's Wang Yi, exchanged an important phone call on January 4th. As reported by Reuters, Le Drian announced that the three parties, quote, agreed on the importance of preserving the sovereignty and stability of Iraq, and the importance of ensuring that Iran does not violate the Vienna Agreement. End of quote. Moreover, France and China agreed to work to prevent further escalation in the region. Of course, the situation has progressed since then, with the unintentional shooting down of a Ukrainian aircraft by Iran and the following protests in the country, but it is still important to take note of the minister's call and how fast it was organized. It shows a real political will for cooperation between the three parties who have all been firm supporters of the so-called Iran nuclear deal from 2015, which US has withdrawn from in May 2018. EU's reaction to Taiwanese elections Taiwan presidential elections, which took place on the 11th of January, resulted in re-election of the incumbent president Ms Tsai Ing-wen. Her Democratic Progressive Party is associated with pro-independence stance. Tsai secured over 57% of the votes, having a big majority over 38.6% of Mr. Han Kuoyu of the Guomindang Party, which would like to seek closer economic ties with the mainland. A key topic in the pre-election discussions were the protests in Hong Kong, which left many Taiwanese more suspicious towards the mainland. Following the announcement of the results, the European External Action Service released the following statement. Quote, We congratulate the people of Taiwan for the high turnout on their elections. Our respective systems of governance are funded on a shared commitment to democracy, the rule of law and human rights. The European Union closely follows cross-strait developments and has consistently encouraged dialogue and constructive engagement. End of quote. Let's see how this dialogue and engagement will develop, as some experts assess that Tsai's re-election is going to significantly harden Beijing's stance towards the island. Already on Sunday, January 12th, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman stated that, quote, 
China expresses its strong dissatisfaction and firm opposition to the congratulatory messages and has made solemn representations to the countries concerned. End of quote. New data on Chinese FDI to Europe. According to data published by Baker, McKinsey and Rodium Group, Chinese foreign direct investment to Europe fell by 40% in 2019, reaching the lowest level since 2013. This translates to a mere 20% of value of investments in the record year of 2017. Still, in 2019, the value of Chinese FDI to Europe amounted to more than twice of that made to the United States. And to be precise, we're talking here about 13.4 billion US dollars to Europe versus 5.5 billion US dollars to the United States. The titles of the countries with the biggest value of the Chinese FDI went to Finland, 5.3 billion US dollars, the United Kingdom, 3.8 billion US dollars, and Sweden, 1.3 billion US dollars. It's important to note a high result of the United Kingdom despite Brexit. McKinsey actually predicts that the UK will launch a charm offensive towards China the following year. More broadly, the law firm also expects to see a recovery of Chinese FDI in Europe in 2020, given the easing trade tensions, steps to liberalize inbound FDI policy in China, and more liquidity in the Chinese economy. A small disclaimer from my side here. It is always hard to measure the exact value of Chinese FDI, because some companies are controlled through complicated ownership structures, with their ties to China not being evident. There are also low-key and low-value investments that can more easily go under the radar. But that's of course a general problem and I highly recommend checking out the results for 2019 from McKinsey and Rodium Group. Link to the data is available in this episode's transcript on the website. China takes first spot on commissions list of IP troublemakers. On the 9th of January 2020, the European Commission published a report on protection and enforcement of intellectual property rights in third countries. As highlighted by Commissioner for Trade Phil Hogan, quote, as much as 82% of all EU exports is generated by sectors which depend on intellectual property. Infringements of intellectual property, including forced technology transfer, intellectual property theft, counterfeiting and piracy, threaten hundreds of thousands of jobs in the EU every year. End of quote. And, well, China was assigned a level one priority and it tops the list of countries giving the EU an intellectual property headache. The report found that, quote, more than 80% of counterfeit and pirated goods seized by EU customs authorities come from China or Hong Kong, end of quote. But the Commission is also concerned about the protection of IP rights of the European companies in China. These concerns include protection of designs, trademarks, trade secrets and forced technology transfer, all paired with an unequal IP regulations enforcement between various provinces and cities. While clearly critical towards China's record on IP protection, the report also highlights the PRC's recent moves to address the issue. This included a fundamental restructuring of the institutional framework for IP protection, establishment of three specialized IP courts in Beijing, Shanghai and Guangzhou, 
and creation in early 2019 of a specialized IP court responsible for patent cases as part of the Supreme People's Court. Moreover, the report acknowledged China's efforts to review and update its IP laws, such as patent law, copyright law and trademark law. But the assessment of implementation and actual impact of these actions will only be possible in the future. You can find a link to the full report in the transcript of this episode. Also, I promise that we will explore the topic of EU-China IP debate more in-depth in one of the future episodes. If you are interested in practical business materials on IP in China, check out the website of IPR SME Help Desk, which provides a lot of great free resources on the issue. Link in the transcript. Huawei or the highway. Europe is setting up framework for its 5G. We're turning to Huawei, the world's second largest smartphone manufacturer by volume and world's leading supplier of 5G equipment. By the end of last year, the company's rotating chairman, Eric Xu, issued a statement reflecting on the company's performance in 2019 and his predictions for 2020. In it, Xu said that the impact of getting blacklisted in the US on Huawei's performance in 2019 was lower than expected, and that the company is, quote, standing strong in the face of adversity, end of quote. However, the chairman also said that 2020, quote, is going to be a difficult year, end of quote, as the impact of US efforts to contain Huawei's activity is going to kick in. And at the same time, 2020 is going to be a deciding year for Huawei in European 5G. The whole discussion about this topic in 2019 has been a fascinating and complex saga. Of course, the decision on whether or not to allow Huawei to participate in building up 5G infrastructure will be made ultimately by every member state individually. But we have also seen very important developments on the EU level that can tell us a bit more about where we stand at the beginning of 2020. Following the recommendations from the EU Commission from March 2019, Experts from member states and the European Union Agency for Cybersecurity, ENISA, completed a risk assessment of 5G networks, which got published last October. The report pointed at risk coming from, quote, non-EU states and, quote, state-backed actors that may be involved in creation of 5G networks in Europe. Obviously, this has been interpreted as indirectly meaning Huawei, and on the basis of this report, the member states, ENISA, and the Commission work to develop a toolbox of best practices and standards that are aimed at mitigating the security risks associated with rollout of 5G. The preparations for the toolbox was completed by December 31st, and according to people in the know, it will be published by the end of this month. How bold is the toolbox going to be will be an important message beyond just 5G discussion. By that I mean that it may give us a hint of how bold is the EU cybersecurity certification framework going to be. If you haven't heard about this one before, this framework will establish an EU-level certification system for ICT digital products, services and processes and will enable creation of risk-based EU certification schemes. So to put simply, you will be able to easily check whether a specific ICT product or service, your laptop, an app on your phone or your self-driving car, meets the EU cybersecurity standards. 
The development of this framework was ordered in the EU Cybersecurity Act from July 2019 and is led by the same ENISA, which is one of the key players in discussions on Huawei. To wrap up this news bite, we're still ahead of the publication of the 5G toolbox, of course, and we're seeing a lot of heated debates about Huawei, for example in Germany. But my bet is that the EU and, importantly, most of the member states are going to explore a middle ground solution. By that I mean minimizing the security risks and putting in place mechanisms to intervene in case Huawei is proven untrustworthy beyond doubt, while not fully excluding the company from construction of domestic 5G networks. For those interested in learning more about the European response to Huawei's 5G, I invite you to check out the links included in the transcript to this episode. I also included during my piece on this very topic from last November. President Xi will host the next 17 plus 1 summit. Moving on to the 17 plus 1 China Central and Eastern Europe or 17 plus 1 China CEE framework. First, a bit of context for those of our listeners who are not quite familiar with this framework. It was created in 2012 as then 16 plus 1's China CE initiative, and who could have guessed, it brought together China and 16 CE countries. Among them, 11 are members of the European Union and 5 are non-EU member states. The 11 are Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Slovenia and Croatia, which joined EU in 2013. The five are Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Montenegro, Albania and North Macedonia. The highlight of the framework are annual summits during which CE Prime Ministers meet with Chinese Premier, but the framework also features ministerial-level meetings, academic cooperation projects, as well as institutional structures focusing on sectoral cooperation like trade, tourism or agriculture. The 16 plus 1 has been controversial to say the least. In Western Europe, it has been treated as a key example of China's attempts to divide the EU. It is so despite the fact that the EU representatives are involved in the summits and that China's economic leverage in CEE remains very limited. In CEE, the 16 plus 1 has faced criticism over its unclear objectives and limited economic achievements among the EU members of the platform, as the situation has been quite different in the Balkans. The flagship project of the framework, Belgrade-Budapest High-Speed Railway Connection, was announced in 2013, but things didn't go smoothly as it was stalled on the Hungarian side until 2019 due to EU tender regulations. So in 2018, voices were even raised whether the 16 plus 1 format is not redundant or whether it should not be downscaled from annual to biannual format. Instead, in 2019, Greece joined the format making it 17 plus 1 and giving the initiative new energy. So let's get back to the actual news. Information emerged that the next 17 plus 1 summit, which is set to take place in Beijing in April, will be presided not by Premier Li Keqiang, but by Secretary General of CCP and the President of the People's Republic of China, Xi Jinping himself. Consequently, the CE states will be represented by their heads of state rather than prime ministers, increasing the profile of the event. 
This naturally sparked a flurry of interpretations by observers. Some would interpret it as Beijing's move to boost the importance of the 17 plus 1 and to increase China's engagement with the CEE. Others have regarded it as China's attempts to give the 17 plus 1 summit status greater than that of EU-China summit that is set to take place at the end of March in Beijing and will feature a meeting between Premier Li Keqiang and the new EU Commission leadership. Some say this move is an attempt to make 17 plus 1 more comparable in rung to the upcoming so-called 27 plus 1 summit that will take place in the second half of 2020 in Leipzig, Germany. This summit is going to be the event of EU-China relations of 2020, as it will be the first time for a Chinese president to meet with all the heads of EU states and the EU institutions at once. But there is also a less dramatic interpretation of reasons behind Xi's decision. Diplomatic protocol and China's diplomatic practice in managing its South-South cooperation diplomacy platforms, which is, by the way, how Beijing views the 17 plus 1. As pointed out by Martin Sebena from Choice, China observers in Central and Eastern Europe, quote, Forum on China-Africa Cooperation is hosted by the Chinese president when the summit takes place in Beijing. Otherwise, China is mostly represented by its prime minister. Since this is the first time 17 plus 1 summit moves to Beijing, Xi Jinping naturally becomes the host. Chances are that Prime Minister Li Keqiang will be back at the steering wheel for the next round. End of quote. Regardless of reasons behind Beijing's decision, the move is likely going to be very poorly received in Brussels, which is highly suspicious of the 17 plus 1. Personally, I wouldn't read into this announcement too much, and I put my money on the diplomatic protocol interpretation. But I invite you to check out the links in the transcript to get a feel of the discussion on this topic. Chinese academia gains its first foothold in Central and Eastern Europe. We stay in the Central and Eastern Europe, Fudan University from Shanghai, one of China's top universities, is set to open its campus in Budapest. The declared objective is to boost scientific cooperation between Hungary and China. While other countries in the region also pursue science and innovation cooperation with Chinese universities, this announcement makes Hungary the first CE country to host a Chinese campus. A memorandum of understanding on this matter was signed by Hungarian Innovation Minister and Fudan University's President. Hungary is also working with China on setting up a joint technology transfer center in Chongqing. The center is to focus on renewable energy, smart cities and wastewater management. If you're interested in scientific cooperation between China and the region, keep an eye on the 5th China CEE Conference on Innovation Cooperation, which will take place in Slovakia this year. German car makers go big in China. Again. A major JV of a European company is coming up. On January 8, Mercedes-Benz and its Chinese partner Zhejiang Gili Holding received a regulatory approval for a China-based joint venture that will construct electric vehicles under the brand of Smart. The two companies will each invest over 380 million US dollars in a 50-50 venture in which Mercedes will design the new generation of electric cars, which Gili will develop. This will further increase the importance of China for German car makers, which is already significant. 
In November last year, BMW partnered with Great Wall Motor, forming a JV called Spotlight Automotive. The JV is to build electric minis in an attempt to take a share in the biggest market for electric vehicles, China. The 716 million US dollar factory is to be completed by 2022 and be located in the Zhangjiagang city in Jiangsu province. It is important to remember that such business victories also create leverage and German automotive button has indeed been recently pressed by Chinese ambassador to Germany in relation to Huawei debate. In December, at an event organized by Handelsblatt, Ambassador Wu Kun stated that, quote, if Germany were to take a decision that leads to Huawei's exclusion from the German market, there will be consequences, end of quote, before alluding to the position of German car industry in China. Ambassador said, quote, could we say one day that German cars are no longer safe because we're in a position to manufacture our own cars? No, that is pure protectionism, end of quote. The move was widely interpreted as a threat to German decision makers debating whether or not to allow Huawei to participate in German 5G. But regardless of whether Ambassador Wu did or did not mean it that way, the fact that one-fourth of 28 million cars sold in China in 2018 came from German manufacturers make it possible for China to push this button. And that's it for this news brief. If you think that there are any other news that are worth sharing, let us know via email available on our website. Also, as we are still at very early stages of this podcast, we would greatly appreciate any feedback you might want to share with us. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the EU China podcast. If you want to know more or to get in touch with us, visit our website, which is euchinahub.com writtenjointly.com. And if you find this show insightful, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It will help others to get to know about us. See you next time.